Welcome to this week's episode of Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. This week, we catch up with Mike Tabor. I get an update on his progress with Blue Tick. Mike was my co-host for the first 448 episodes of this podcast, and now he's a host emeritus, and he comes on every couple months and updates us on his story and his progress with his software product, bluetick.io. It's a good update this week. I don't want to spoil it for you, but needless to say, things are going up and to the right for Mike. But before we dive into that, I want to give you two things. Number one is invitations for MicroConf Connect, which is our online community. Uh, the first invitations have been sent out. And if you haven't checked out microconfconnect.com and you are interested in being in a community of, well, there's more than 1,100 applicants at this point. So depending on how many you know actually come through and sign up, let's say it's going to be many hundreds, uh, if not you know close to 1,000 of indie-funded and self-funded startup founders around from around the world. If you're interested in that, head to microconfconnect.com. And number two, if you haven't shared this podcast with someone that you think could get value out of it, it would mean a ton to me. If you feel like you've gotten value out of the episodes over the past three months you've been listening, three years you've been listening, the biggest thing that I look at when I look at the success of the podcast, uh, there's a couple things. One, I look at the feedback from listeners and the comments that, w- that we receive and the growth of the subscriber base. And I've uh, really been focusing on that over the past six to nine months to try to get the message out to more people. You know, the message that, that we can be ambitious and we can build life-changing businesses without sacrificing our life or our health or family or, or our relationships in order to do that. So we'd really appreciate it. You know, whether, even if that's just a tweet that says, you know, Startups for the Rest of Us is a podcast that I enjoy, or if you do a one-on-one email or text to someone, I would really appreciate it. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Mike Tabor. Mike, it's been a while. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's uh, It's been six weeks to the day since our last conversation. And I actually ran a Twitter poll a few weeks back because I got a couple comments on the last episode. So we got, let's say I got 10 or 12 comments through, you know, Twitter, email and posted to the website. One of them said like, oh, it's, it's uncomfortable when you and Mike talk because I feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on him. And then someone said, you should be easier. You should go easier on Mike. And I thought, wow, I don't, I don't feel like I'm being hard on you. Do you feel that way? I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I think that they're, the questions I think that you're asking are pretty valid questions. And I feel like it's easier to answer them as opposed to like now, and I've commented on this before. It's like, it's, it feels easier for me to answer them now because there's more time in between each episode when we talk. So it's like, I have more time to work on stuff and I'm not distracted by other things that are going on. So I don't really think so, but I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe I would have felt uh, differently like right after an episode is recorded. You can ask me again right after this episode if, if they were tough yeah, questions. Totally. And that, well, and that's the thing that people should know is like you and I were very deliberate in advance offline, you know, before we started this whole series of following your story that I said, look, I'm going to ask you questions that I think are helpful to the audience. And I want to ask you questions that I think are helpful to hopefully keep you motivated and accountable. Is that okay? Like I got your permission to bust your chops a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've never felt like I'm over the top, up in your face, sell, 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 buy, buy, buy. Like I'm not being outrageous. I'm genuinely just ask. I, I know I am asking some tough questions, but I don't know. So anyways, I ran it. So after that, I ran a Twitter poll and I got 114 responses and the results were 8% thought I should go easier on you. 31% said I could push you harder, which I was surprised by. And 61% said they felt like I'm striking a good balance. So 
overall, thirty-one <laughs> percent, Mike. A third of people <laughs> want me to bust your chops more. Uh, it's funny. Oh, that's all right. You, if, if you want to bust my chops a little bit more to appease that thirty-one percent, I'm fine with it. I, but I don't. It's this is a very natural. The thing is, is these conversations, at least from my perspective, are not forced at all, and I'm not doing anything that's not that doesn't feel very natural in the conversation. I'm, I'm genuinely just curious about what's there. And when I ask, why didn't you do that? I'm genuinely curious why you didn't do something, you know? So anyways, let's, let's start talking about stuff. Cause I, I did go back and listen to the last few episodes. You know, it's been a while, right? It's been six weeks since the last one. And I think, you know, three months since the one before that. So I, I almost forget the story sometimes of exactly what was happening, but the, our last episode was actually really positive. You were upbeat and things seemed to be working well. You had grown 50 revenue, 50% in two months and you're still early stage. So folks know, so percentages can be deceiving, you know, but so that that's kind of where we, where we last left you. I'm curious to hear about your high point over the past six weeks. Like what, what were you, you know, biggest win or the moment where you felt the best and then conversely the kind of biggest setback or where you were feeling the worst. I think that in terms of the the biggest win is I had a customer who, and I know that this is on your outline already, so I'm going to totally blow it out of the water. But you were, your question was about the the big customer that I had to sign on a couple of months ago for $500 a month, and are they still around? The answer is yes, they are still around, but they also asked to upgrade to an annual plan. So that just came through yesterday, so that's uh, all set. So I'd say that's probably the biggest one. In terms of a low point, I can't really point to anything specific where it's like, oh, I wish this had gone very, very differently. I've got a bunch of things that are up in the air right now, and I'm optimistic that some of them will come through. And then there's other things where it's just like, I have to kind of play things by ear for a little while to see how it goes. And I just, I don't know how they're going to play out yet. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that, man. That That's big to get, you know, for them to request to go annual implies that they're using the tool, they're enjoying the tool, and they want to use it for the next, you know, for the coming foreseeable future. Because the, the challenge that I always see with especially early stage products that are really finding their footing, I'll say, is that you can get a big customer, but they'll stick around for two weeks or a month or two. And then they realize, well, this just doesn't kind of fit what we need. And so that is why I kept circling back on that topic is like, hey, you have this customer paying you a chunk of money, you know, are they still around? And so that's great. That's really a good sign, in my opinion. So congratulations on that. Yep. Another thing that I would say that is, uh, I wouldn't say there was a particular point where it was a, a high point as well, but you, you had mentioned that I had grown revenue by about 50% over the course of two months. And then over the most recent two months, I've grown it by roughly another 50%. So basically double where I was like about four months ago. And that's like, maybe it's like four and a half months, maybe close to five, but it's still pretty close to that. And it depends, I would say more on how things shake out through this month, which it's still very early on in the month. But from the looks of it, I would expect that I will kind of eclipse that point. And is it, is part of that, is a big part of this, your, your warm slash cold email campaign? Because last time we spoke, your report was it was working very well. You were getting upwards of 50% response rates. You had so many learnings that you actually had to back off of it so you could get other work done. You were saying some calls were running one and a half to two hours. You had a bunch of notes and that some were turning into customers. Is that a big part of this? Because to to double in four months, you know, even at, at early stage is, is still traction. Like that that shows that something has happened that wasn't happening in the prior 18 months, frankly. 
Yeah, and I look back at the outreach campaign that I was doing, and it's interesting because I think only one of those conversations, yeah, well, only one of them has turned into an actual customer. And like, there's maybe three others that are still prospects. One of them is in a trial, but I have to implement some additional things before he, he'll actually start paying for it. The trial itself right now, it's like I've extended his trial because literally the certain things don't work for him. So I'm trying to go through and I basically just have to implement a couple of extra features before he can start using it. And at that point, I'll kind of like restart his trial more or less. But I don't see any direct correlation between the conversations that I'm having and the revenue, which is kind of weird because I, I look back at it now and I'm just went through and counted. I've had over 30 calls with people in the past five to six weeks. And those are just the ones for my outreach campaign, but only one of those turned into a customer. That's crazy. So where are the new, where's the growth coming from? You know, I'm still working on it. Oh, no, you don't know. <laughs> so I, so um, it's kind of from a variety of sources. And I think some of, some of it's recommendations from other people. So I onboarded somebody the, over the past two weeks that they're a real estate attorney in New York City. And they heard about it from a Facebook group and somebody else had recommended to them. And I'm like, well, who was it and what, what organization was it? And they said it was from a EO group, which I think is entrepreneurs organization or something like that. You have to have like a, a business that's doing a million dollars in revenue in order to even be eligible to join and they have to verify it. So somebody in there said, hey, you should check out Blue Tick. And I don't know who that person was, but I don't necessarily care either. But the person signed on and helped them get everything set up through Zapier. And they asked me already about upgrading to an annual plan. And I said, well, we could do that now, but why don't you wait a month or two and see how things go? And then if everything's working well, we'll upgrade you. So it's very, I'll say casual and conversational about that. But I think that that's a good opportunity to try and potentially get either additional recommendations or more revenue, what have you, because I'm sure these people know other people, but I definitely think there's opportunities there that are coming about just from having these conversations. Right. And that's the idea is if, if they do wind up being happy and they sign up for annual right after they pay for annual, a great ask is, Hey, would you mind, you know, I know you heard, heard about me through an EO group. Would you mind posting back to that group and saying, Hey, I've just signed up. It, it's been a really good experience, blah, blah, blah. Cause that alone could become at this stage. It's, it, you know, it's the doing things that don't scale at this stage. All of this, all of this just helps get you to where you want to go. Yep, exactly. So I'm curious then customers are signing up. And, you know, you, are, you obviously have some growth going on. Something that I've asked you multiple times is like, why Blue Tick? Why did they sign up with Blue Tick and not go to one of your probably dozens of competitors, I'm guessing? Last time you had said, you know, you had some theories, but you hadn't really figured that out yet. We tossed around some things like Blue Tick checks the mailbox every 10 minutes, whereas a lot of your competitors check it every four hours. So your data is more up to date. You're more thorough in terms of seeing like, I think it was like trash and spam and some other folders. Is that it? Or is, is there something else that you've figured out why these folks come and sign up and convert to annual with you and not one of your competitors, that key differentiator? I don't think there's a specific key differentiator in the product, but the recommendations, I think, certainly helps. So I, I had a conversation. So as part of those 30 plus calls that I have gone through, one person said, hey, I have this customer over here, these these couple of customers, and I think that you should go talk to them. And for this one, feel free to use my name and say that I said that you, you should reach out to them. So I reached out, talked to them, and I don't think that this came up in our last call because it was since then, but I 
basically had a conversation with them. They said, yeah, actually, your, your software sounds like it would be really helpful for us. Uh, send me a proposal, which, you know, you wouldn't think that most of the time you'd need to send a proposal to somebody. But, I mean, it's over $1,000 a month for this particular customer. So they said, send me the proposal. I sent them a proposal. And then without even me asking or following up on the proposal, they didn't have any questions at all. They said, great, this, is, this looks good. Let's, I'm going to introduce you to our technical team. Let's set up a, a call with them. So did that, went through the technical call, and I, at the end of the call, I said, are there any objections or questions you have or any problems you see in switching from what you're using now into this? And they said no. So now I'm at the point where they said, okay, next week's bad for us, but touch base with us the following week, and we'll see how things shake out from there. So I'm optimistic that that will come in, and that's over $1,000 a month in MRR from just that one customer. But I definitely know there are certain things that they're going to need. The kind of point I'm going after, though, is like the reason I think that that person took the call was because I got a, they got a recommendation from this other person that they knew and trusted. That makes sense. And your title tag on your website, bluetick.io, is cold and warm email follow-up software. And then the headline is personal outreach at scale for all of your follow-up emails. So there's cold and there's warm and you've tended to be in the warm area of like getting things you need from other people. So if an accountant needs a tax return, he can put it in here. I'm just giving an example. I'm guessing you don't have any accountants, but the idea is- I do. Oh, you do? Actually. Okay. Or, or a conference organizer needs to bother sponsors until they pay, you'd put them in blue tick and they would do that. So which of these new signups over the past four months, which of those are they using? Are they doing it more for cold or more for the warm? The- Attorney last week was, most of them are warm, to be honest. Now that, and as I'm thinking about it, most of them are warm. They've done business in some way, shape or form, but it's not like a tight relationship. It's very loose. It was like, maybe there was a transaction of some kind. Maybe there was a trial that was downloaded. Maybe there was, you know, an introduction or something along those lines. It's mostly like there was at least some sort of a, a touch point, And then they go in to use Blue Tick to kind of help move them to the next step and kind of a strength in the relationship, I'll say. Mm -hmm. So it's less about sales. It's part of the sales process, but it's not the f usually the first step in the sales process. It's once there's at least some relationship, then it's how do we keep moving it down, which is what you wanted to do. Remember, we talked about it a year ago and you said, I don't really want, like, I feel like a lot of the cold outreach is spammy and I have a struggle with how the, some of these folks are doing it. And this feels, this feels better to you. Yeah. And I mean, it's, what's interesting, though, is that the, those that I've had come on so far, those tend to be like they want to do the warm outreach. But then the demo for the customer who the price quote I gave them, I think, was like twelve hundred dollars a month. So they're going to have upwards of 20, 30 mailboxes and their growth anticipation is they're going to get up to like between 50 and 60 by the end of the year. So what they do is they do lead gen for other companies. So they basically work with marketing agencies who are trying to do market analysis and market research, and they get people on the phone to talk to those companies. So I've actually started going down the road of looking out there to see what marketing agencies that are out there that are currently doing lead gen and see if I can get 
conversations going with them to ask how they're doing that now, because my suspicion is most of them are running a bunch of different campaigns in parallel, and they probably have anywhere between 20 and 50 or 100 mailboxes, which I would basically be charging them for each one of those. But let's say that it's 50 mailboxes at my current pricing, which, you know, I would probably cut them a, a bulk discount at some point. I don't know what that would look like, but let's say just raw numbers alone right now, 50 mailboxes at $50 a month is $2,500 a month. And that's huge. Like one of those customers could substantially start moving the needle for blue tick, especially if they go and sign up for an annual plan. Not that I think that they would do that on day one, but fast forward a month or two, if it's working better for them than their current solution, then it would make sense for them to go to an annual plan to get a little bit more of a discount. And I do think that there's opportunities there for BlueTick to go in and do some competitive displacements for people who are using things like Sales Loft or Outreach or Reply, because it does have that more in-depth hooks into the mailbox and it can do more in-depth checks to make sure that it's identi correctly identifying was this a reply? Was that a reply? Did I get a reply from a different email address or was it forwarded? All those kinds of things. It, like I just have the capability to do a more in-depth analysis that I don't think that those other products have, nor do I think that they care about. And their pricing has started going through the roof. Like they're really going up market in terms of their pricing. Which leaves a nice opportunity for you because even you, you know, having these several hundred dollar a month slash low four figure per month clients is it's such a different business than a 40 or $50 a month app. You need so many fewer clients. So I uh, like Bravo to that high ARPU, high average revenue per customer is just a, it's one of the Holy grails. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'm kind of working those angles to try and see how that works out. And I just don't know how it's going to play out yet. Yeah. You never do with, this is pipeline stuff, right? Listeners should realize you're not you're not saying I'm counting on all of these deals to close because you're you've done sales enough to realize that only a certain percentage of your pipeline closes. But the fact that you're even sitting at the table with someone who could feasibly pay you a thousand, two thousand a month is so far removed from where you were a year ago or eighteen months ago. So that's that's the part I'm excited about because you don't need all of these to pan out. You just need a certain percentage, and and you're growing, and you're off to the races, and you're profitable supporting yourself and you know you have to get to the point where you can hire someone to uh handle your audits and rewrite that seal.net component <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i think what's motivating about it is that i feel like i'm winning a disproportionately large number of them too why and why is that I honestly, like, I think it's me. <laughs> I, I think it's the conversations that I have with people. And like, even in the demo that I did with the customer that I, I did a custom proposal for, when I was talking to them, they were asking questions about the software and how it worked. And they they had some very specific requirements as well, which I was kind of shocked by because most people are like, oh, I just want to be able to detect replies and be able to send out emails and make sure that those are going out to people who didn't reply. But they had some, one of the specific requirements they had was they like, this has to be able to send an email out as a reply to a previous email, and it has to include the contents of the other one. And I said, yes, it can do that. And this is exactly how it looks. And I showed them an example. They're like, that's perfect. That's exactly what we need. And it's just being able to have that discussion and then also explain this is how it was built and this is why it was built this way. And then they were like, I was fascinated is not the right word for it, but they were, they really liked hearing that the person on the phone giving them the demo was the person they would also talk to for support or if they needed help or, you know, the person who built it. So if there's something wrong and it doesn't work, 
they can talk to me and I can get it fixed for them. Whereas with like the current vendor that they have, it's got to go through like three layers of support and then it will project manager and put out a roadmap. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to do that with him, with me. Like you're going to talk to me <laughs> so I can get things done. And that's the thing when you're small and you're competing with venture back startups or even just larger companies, founders often will say, well, I'm outgunned, right? You know, I, I how can I possibly compete with them? And you can, you just have to use your advantages you have to it's like didn't you call this i think it was in microconf europe you called it like was it the founder advantage maybe i did thank you for reminding i'll have to go back i think that was okay. you <laughs> i i don't recall but we, we should find out but anyways yeah like in in judo you're supposed to use your opponent even if you have a larger opponent you use their force against them so as they as they let's say they swing at you or whatever it's more about dodging and pulling them in the direction that they swung to kind of flip them over or whatever. I've only done judo a couple of times, so it's not something I'm an expert at. But when you are a small company, you are super agile with a lowercase a. You can get stuff done super fast. They can talk directly to the founder. These are the advantages that you can just use against larger companies over and over and over. And there are, there are others as well. So all that to say, I'm, that's cool to be able to do that. Obviously, it doesn't last forever. But while you have it, this should absolutely be something that you're you're taking advantage of. Yeah, and I, I totally am for the time being. <laughs> cool, very good. Curious, I mean, some of these other questions I'm not even sure are worth going into because since things are working and you're doing, you're doing demos, you're talking to customers and you're selling and they're writing you checks, it's like, should you even be bothering with these other things? But, you know, I, I come back to the podcast tour where, well, I guess you put it into Blue Tick, you're doing cold outreach to try to get on podcasts, scaled it back a bit because you, you got busy with calls and then you ramped it up again. Curious for an update on that. Yeah, so I had scaled it down and I'd planned on ramping it up again, but I started sending out a couple of emails and I haven't gone back to start sending out more of them. I was basically doing it like individually, like approving them one at a time. And, and I got busy with all the phone calls and everything. So I haven't gone back to that. But now that I basically have stopped learning things from the conversations that I've been having with uh, the people I was reaching out to. So I'm going to put some of that stuff on autopilot and try to involve myself a little bit less. And instead of pitching it as, hey, I'd like to get on a phone and talk to you because I'd like to, to learn, now I'm going to kind of present it as like, this is kind of the things that I've learned. Are there ways that you can help me? Are there people that you could refer to this particular product? Because I think I have a better story or position around that. So I'm going to do that instead. But now that my learning process there, I think is a little bit more complete. I'm going to go back and start doing the the podcast outreach again. I just haven't done it yet. Yeah, it's like you're trying to balance four things, right? You're, it's like development of features is one thing. And sales and learning which is what the, a lot of the LinkedIn, you know, and that, that warm outreach and then uh, marketing. And you haven't been doing much marketing because sales and learning are taking so much of the time. But it sounds like you've learned, yeah, I think what you're saying to kind of summarize is like you've learned about as much as you need for now and you can really dial that down and then switch some focus to marketing to then generate leads for you to continue with sales, right? Yeah. And I don't want to like to not correct you, but like to narrow in down exactly on the learning side of it. Like the reason I'm backing off on that is because I'm starting to hear the same things over and over. It's not that I don't think that like I have anything left to learn because I certainly think that there's lots more. But the people that I'm talking to, it's it's getting repetitive now. Like I'm hearing the same things over and over. And I don't think that going through the rest of the list of people that I was reaching out to, I don't think that that's going to be fruitful in terms of learning stuff. But I do still think that there's a lot of value in continuing to reach out to those people and seeing if there's people that they could introduce me to or put the product in front of. 
Right. So you're switching from learning to sales. In a sense, you're switching that campaign, which is exactly what I think you should be doing based on what, you know, what you're saying. You know, it's funny for the, these episodes that we do every, every month or two, it's typically been a pattern of one up where you're, it's a roller coaster, right? One where you're up and one where you're down, one where you're up and one where you're down. And we now have two back to back (laughs) where you're up. So you got it. You know, it's going to get boring for people after a while, Mike, if you're hashtag winning every episode, people stop listening. So next, next episode, bring some, bring some low points. I'll say I got a hangnail. Yeah, exactly. Terrible. (laughs) I'm, I'm joking. I can barely type with that finger. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to see that finger, Rob? Do you want- <laughs> not, not really. Good thing this is a an audio podcast. Uh, no. So I mean, I'm happy for you, and I'm happy the way things are going. Again, it's like we've talked about this dot seal.net component for so long. And the last episode, I finally said, you know what? If sales are working, I wouldn't replace it right now unless it's causing you the inability to close sales. Because right now, number one is getting revenue up. And so that was kind of, it was my thinking at the time. And I think we were both kind of agreeing on it. And you were kind of saying, yeah, I know I need to replace it at some point. But, you know, given where you've been, have you even given it a, a thought over the past six weeks? I, I have, and it's more, I would say, over the past week and a half to two weeks where I've started to look at that a lot more. And the main reason for looking at that is that I briefly mentioned it earlier, but I didn't go into the details of, of a customer where I basically extended their trial because certain things weren't working for them. And to drill into that is they have an exchange server. And that, that's their first mistake? Well, yeah. Oh, snap. No, I'm just <laughs> Send hate mail to Mike at Microsoft. I didn't say it. It wasn't me. <laughs> I know. So anyway, the, pro- the, the issue is that, yes, you can enable IMAP on an Exchange server, but the default is to not have it in- enabled. So there are tons of uh, sales organizations out there where they have Exchange server. And unless you have a device that compl- like directly goes into Exchange server through using the Exchange web services, basically it doesn't work. And Bluetick relies on that IMAP component. So what I've been doing is this person tried to sign up. They went in, tried to add a mailbox, didn't work. I went through all these things, trying to make it, trying to figure out how to make it work. And the only way to do it is through Exchange Web Services, which I have a component that can do that. Like the one that I have now can do it, but it's it's got to be rewritten. The store underlying storage system has got to be changed in order to kind of help support that. And I knew that all that stuff needs to be done anyway in order to basically replace how that sealed.net component is currently used. And it was never a priority before because stuff works. But like now it's at a point where like I have to replace this and I have to rewrite some of that code. Otherwise, I can't get this customer onboarded. So now it's like a barrier to revenue. So it's like I can kind of justify it now, especially since there's I think he said that there's like 70 sales reps in the organization. And if I can get it working for him, it's land and expand because he's more than willing to introduce me to this two managers of all the sales reps. But I have to get it working for him first. So now I'm in a position where it's like, uh, I kind of have to do this now. I mean, technically, I don't have to. I can say, screw it. I'm just going to go find other customers. But the combination of this particular person needing that and this customer where the they've got like there's $1,200 of MRR initially on the table where I know that their mailboxes are going to be coming from their customers. And my suspicion is at least some of those customers are going to be using Exchange Server. And it did come up in the call when they asked, like, can you integrate with Exchange Server? And I said, yes, thinking that like, oh, I can do it through IMAP. But then I onboarded this other customer and realized that's not going to work if you have to go through the IT department and the IT department has to justify why they're going to turn that 
that capability on for a particular mailbox. And I'm like, now I'm like, I kind of have to fix that at this point. So that's why I'm looking at it now. Um, I've, I've spent the last week or so looking at redesigning it, doing a bunch of different prototyping and testing and figuring out how it's going to work. And I'm pretty close to being able to move forward with it. I just haven't, I haven't written any production code to screw with it. Mm, good for you, man. No, that that's cool. That's actually good news because that's exactly the time that that you should be doing it. You know, is when it impacts revenue. And you you'd mentioned last time you could you have a a bit you can flip in the database to do it for one mailbox at a time, which also is a nice luxury to maybe not have to deal with all of the data migration that will take a week or more all at once. You know, yep, that's cool. Something else that we we talked about a few times is that that Enneagram test. It's a personality test. And the reason that that we started talking about it was we were talking about, you know, what what motivates you deep down as a human being and also kind of what are your blind spots, right? What are we all have these blind spots in our personalities that things that perhaps you know, behaviors that aren't helpful to us getting stuff done. And I'm a fan of, of these personality tests because they just help give in mo- most cases give me insight about who I am what my blind spots are, what motivates me, all that kind of stuff. So you had taken, you know, when we were last talking, you had taken the Enneagram, but you said you hadn't really dug into it to kind of suss out actionable bits, you know, or things that you should think about on a day-to-day basis. Because it's fun to read through the whole doc, but if you're not going to then somehow implement that in your life, then is it all just, you know, a waste of time? So I'm curious if you had time to go through and highlight and maybe what, you know, a couple key takeaways that you, you know, you might be able to take action on or at least be aware of in your day-to-day. Yeah, I did. And I was I started going through and I was going to highlight a bunch of stuff and then I said oh, I'll just underline it instead, which is close enough. And it it's one of those things where the the different personality types that it has for me printed out, it comes out to I think like 16 or 18 pages. It's about 6 pages for each one. And there's a lot of stuff underlined. So some of it's just notes for me, but there's also stuff in here where it's I like the fact that they put together things and they say like these are these are ways that you can make things work better. And some of them are things I'm already doing. So for example, one of them was like, oh, if you're this particular personality type, then it can very much help you to either get in a room with other people and just talk about these types of issues or, you know, do journaling and write that stuff down. It was interesting that I discovered the journaling aspect on my own because I've been doing that for a couple of years. And I do find it extremely helpful because I can sit there and basically do a brain dump at the end of the day. And I've found that by doing that, it helps me clear my thoughts and helps me sleep at night. And then there's a few other things that I went through it. I, I still have to go back through it again, uh, just because there's so much here. But I I definitely think there's a lot more in here that I could probably pull out in a few, I wouldn't call them productivity hacks, but like life hacks, so to speak, is like, oh, do this and this other piece of your life will be made easier, if that makes sense. It does. And a lot of it's like just some of it's just managing like negative emotions and some of it's like being able to express feelings about certain things or be more assertive about what you want or what you need. Because, I mean, generally I'm a low key person, low maintenance, but it doesn't mean that I don't have needs that somehow need to be met. And I just don't really talk about I'm I'm much better at advocating for other people than I am for myself. Yeah. And that's something good to know about yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And And it's like I intuitively know that, but seeing it written down on papers, like, Hey, this is, this is a part of your personality profile. And here are some ways to like deal with that. Like, you know, and, and it's, some of it's just like you, you read through some of the, the text that's in here and some of it's just like coaching. I mean, it says like, Hey, you know, you may believe this, but has anything ever really gone that badly? And the answer is probably not. So it's, it's just a good reminder. Yeah. 
Indeed. How how about your sleep? Has it been in general? Generally pretty good. The past week or so has been pretty stressful. And it's funny because in the Enneagram, there's specific sections in there that say that call out and say when you are under stress, if you're this if this is your personality profile, then you switch over to this other thing. And these are the types of behaviors you exhibit. And and for the most part, they're pretty dead on. So it's it's nice to go through and read those and see that those things can impact my stress levels, which then turn around and impact my sleep. So last week or so has been pretty stressful, but I think there's definitely some strategies and takeaways in there that I can leverage to help kind of clear that up. And that's something that was game changing for me about, it's gone up and down, but let's say about eight or 10 years ago, I realized that I would just wake up in the morning or I, I would just be walking around and I would feel this enormous amount of stress. And I would just feel it and live it and let it consume me. And over time, I learned through stuff like this, this self-awareness and, and these tests, why do I feel that way? And, you know, I, I, think, I think there's a big biological component. I think when I look at my family history on both sides, there's all these anxiety disorders and all this, you know, stuff we don't need to go into here. But I think I'm naturally prone to just have constant mid-level, I won't say high, high-grade anxiety because I don't have panic attacks, but I do have low to mid-level stress all the time. But what I learned to do was I would say, why am I feeling that way? Like literally what, why am I feeling that way? And I would say, well, it's because someone said this, or it's because I'm worried about, you know, this revenue thing, or I'm worried, you know, whatever. And then, but then I could actually look at it and say, well, how likely is that to happen? And how bad would it be if that happened? So then, and then I can just try to right brain myself or no, I'm sorry, left brain myself out of it. And it works for me to really look at it and say, look, there's no new information. You can't fix this. It actually isn't going to be that big of a deal if it happens. And if it is, there's contingency A, B, and C that I could use to get around it. So put it to bed for now. And if it comes back up, then deal with it. And you know what? 90% of the time, none of them come back up. It's just wasted. It's just wasted worry. It doesn't help anybody to worry about it. So that's a. am not saying you or anyone else should do that, but it works for me. And the only way that I came across these types of coping mechanisms. One is being married to Sherry, two, listening to the Zen Founder podcast, and and three, learning this about myself to know, wow, this isn't normal and other people don't feel this way all the time. So, all right. So as, as we're wrapping up, I'm curious what, you know, between now and our next chat, what are you most looking forward to? I think that, so I'm going to be diving back into the technical side of things to rewrite that email synchronization mechanism and get get it working so that Exchange Server can just be like connected without having to worry about IMAP or enabling certain things. It's just, it should just work at that point. So I'm hoping that by the time the next time we get on a call, like that stuff will be taken care of. And I'll have at least started onboarding this customer that I quoted the $1,200 to. So I don't know. I mean, those are the things that I'm looking at the most. And then trying to go through and see if I can have some more conversations with other marketing agencies that do lead gen or do market analysis and outreach because they're doing it at scale with small numbers of people. And it's not as if they've got 80 people that need to be trained to use blue tick. It's like a handful of people that are using it on behalf of a much larger group of people. And I do think that that could potentially be an area of growth, but I don't know yet. So I want to explore that quite a bit more. Sounds good, man. Well, as always, thanks for coming on the show again, having the conversation. I always enjoy chatting with you and I think, you know, the listeners benefit from it as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me back and uh, I will definitely keep you guys posted. Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. 
I always enjoy my conversations with Mike and it's good to hear him, you know, feeling well and feeling motivated. Uh, if you've been a listener for any length of time, you know that he's definitely had some entrepreneurial ups and downs and to get two, two uh, positive updates in a row. I, uh, I'm thankful for that. So if you have a question for me or for a guest or for Mike, you should either email us questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. You can attach an audio file to that. It will go straight to the top of the Q&A stack, or you can leave us a voicemail at 888-801-9690. Or of course, you can just write a text email to that address. If you haven't checked out startupsfortherestofus.com, every episode has a full transcript within a week or two of being published. And we have show notes, we have links to you know everything that is in, uh, in these episodes. And if you're not subscribed, we have links there too. So you can head to iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and all those to get every episode dropped in to your inbox. If you're not on our email list, I would encourage you to do that. We have several thousand on the list at this point. We don't email a ton, but we do send out you know relevant podcast related stuff. Start up to the rest of us.com. There's forms all over the, the website if you want to be in the know. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next week.